The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, everybody. It is Betsy Hicks filling in for Terry Aranga today. Terry spending some time with her mom who's uh, been sick recently and we wish her very good, uh, very speedy recovery and a lot of wellness. Uh, Terry has asked me to fill in and I was so excited to do so because I had seen her at Autism One and I said, I've got a great guest and I want to, to bring him on the show and she was thrilled to um, do it at this time. My guest today is a... IEP mediation specialist. He's also an attorney. His name is Byron Yaffe, and he's out of Chicago. Byron has mediated hundreds of special education cases covering a very broad range of issues, including disputes over placement, transition, staffing, safety, so, so much more. Byron, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. Uh, this this gentleman who you're about to hear speak is is not only an amazing mediation uh, specialist, but he's very funny also. So we should have a <laughs> we should take, be taking a relatively dry subject potentially um, when there's there can be a lot of emotions going on when it comes to IEPs. But this this is a, a really uh, well informed and uh, truly understands the art of mediation. Um, Byron, before we get going, for those that are really just starting to get into IEPs, I have to say, as a specialist of the body and understanding the body of autism, um, I was completely overwhelmed when I had to start dealing with IEP processes. I spent a lot of years just letting the schools do whatever because I was so uneducated, I didn't even know what potentially my rights were. And more and more I had people saying, you've got to ask for this and you've got to ask for this, and I just didn't even know how to or what to do. So before we even get going, can you just mildly explain what what an IEP process is and what's the potential for getting achieved in that? Um, on a very general level, the IEP process is the team, team of individuals who have responsibilities for identifying special needs for, uh, that children might have, particularly in the school setting. Uh, it's a process in which those individuals gather to make decisions regarding what goals can be achieved, what strategies need to be utilized, what kind of specific accommodations and services will benefit the child. And it is a process that occurs at least once a year uh, with the participation of parents and sometimes with the participation and input of uh, independent uh, health care providers who are providing services to the child and who can provide 
information to the decision makers that may not be readily available to them otherwise. So, so you have there's, there's a lot of parents out there who certainly did not expect their life to be um, dealing with autism, and we're going to because of the show we're going to focus on autism today. I know you you do many different types of mediations. Um, but many parents are dealing with this and not expecting this to have been their life, so they have no background in understanding even what an IEP means and an individual education plan. And I, I, I found when I first got into it that a lot of acronyms were used, a lot of um, generalizations that were used that, that people expected me to know and I didn't. Is there a good place, where is a good place for a parent to start in trying to understand what they can what rights they have for their child, but a really basic place to start? A difficult question. Probably for uh, families that are Internet savvy, uh, one source would be the Internet, uh, using keywords like uh, special education, autism, uh, special education mediation. There are within each, many states ab, parent advocacy advocacy groups as well as support groups uh, where you can find other parents who have confronted those kinds of dilemmas. And in addition, there are disability rights groups, uh, attorneys, um, and if there were a simple single answer, Betsy, I probably would jump at it. There isn't a single <laughs> Publish a book and make a million. Yes. I, there, you're right. And, and it's interesting that you say that because as you were naming off all the different places, it's like, oh, yeah, I got information from them. I got information from them. I got information from them. I worked with Disability Rights Wisconsin. I worked with different therapists. I talked to different parents. And that's really a great place to start is to just to, to get a, a little bit of here and there that's out there. If you the the best advice I have for a family that has a child with special needs is to find others uh, and to not reinvent the wheel and start from scratch. So, if particularly if you can find advocacy groups or other parents who have been through the system with help, find out what that help is. And if you can't indeed find individuals then go to the organizations that provide at least a network and beginning to provide uh, information pertaining to where one can turn. And, and very often, the, particularly for families who live in relatively isolated com communities, uh, that's not simple to find, find that network. Usually, if you're in an urban area, you can, but it still requires a lot of initiative. And frankly, as you well know, uh, Initiative is one of the qualities that make for strong and effective parent advocacy, and it's something that many parents aren't prepared for. That's for sure. So part of the reason that I didn't, I was never aggressive in IEPs or even asking for anything more than they were offering to give to me was I have a lot of deep sympathy for the school systems in general. I, I feel that they've been, you know, they're so under cut with, with all the different budget cuts and they have a difficult time being able to meet with budgets and I didn't want to add to that. Um, of course, 
there, I have my own frustrations that I don't need to go into now. But I'd like to, I'd like you to talk about both sides of the story here. Let, let's start with the school district. What are what are their struggles and why? Um, I guess what what's their main frustration when it comes to to dealing with parents who are asking for more than they are feeling that they need to give. Um, I'm going to change the question on you. Okay, please. <laughs> Um, rather than talk about the school district problems and, and family problems and children problems, I'm going to talk about relationship problems because Great. that's the context in which I confront uh, disputes over the needs of, of children uh, with special needs, autistic children. Very often the parties do not have candid conversations. Um, if the school district uh, ha is being confronted with education behavioral problems uh, and they reach sort of tentative conclusions pertaining to the cause of those problems, those conclusions may be at odds with the beliefs of the family. Indeed, in some instances, the school district may believe that the family contributes to the problems and similarly, the Family believes that the school district is contributing to the problem. So that lack of candid communication is a big problem that often confronts parties just because they're sort of frightened of each other and intimidated by each other and don't want to make waves if there's a possible way to avoid waves. And as long as people aren't talking honestly and forthrightly, there's going to be misunderstandings, misinformation, and resulting disputes. And that's probably the clear majority of the cases, is that you see one party who believes that certain strategies, certain programs, certain interventions will are appropriate uh, and advisable in the best interest of the child, and the other party has strong opinions that are not that don't coincide with those those views. So the, the, the reluctance and the holding back and the essentially uh, sharing of information is often labeled as blaming uh, in, in the context of relationships between families and schools. And that probably contributes more to misunderstandings and conflict than anything else I've seen. Secondly, families, uh, children behave differently with families than they do in, in, in school settings. And what families see uh, often is at variance from what school districts see. And therefore, you have a totally different context in which uh, children are interacting with others and with adults, and that context affects their behavior, and therefore, they may not be seeing and hearing the same things they may not have the same concerns. Family may be concerned about the emotional welfare of the child. The school is primarily concerned about the social adaptability of the child and the learning of the child. And those two different sets of priorities could put them on different roads and different tracks. Frankly, uh, what I have seen is, well, I've, I've seen what I've just described probably in the vast majority of my cases. Also, and probably most in the most troublesome way, is that autistic children have, uh, there's a broad spectrum of, right. of 
learning needs, of activities, of behaviors, and no, no clear consensus. Right. We have that's gotcha. a perfect time for our break. We're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back with Brian with Byron Yaffe speaking about mediation. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Hello, it's Betsy Hicks filling in for Terry Aranga today. It's wonderful to be with you all, and it's wonderful to be here with my guest today, Byron Yaffe, who is a mediation specialist and an attorney. Um, Byron's been giving us some good understanding as to how relationships um, sometimes develop or falter within the, the IEP process. And right now I'd like to ask um, that we finally, now that we've had this little bit of a setup. Let's explain what mediation is. And I probably, and I'm, I'm fine to be perfectly open about this. I, I met Byron through my own mediation process and, and my frustration with, um, with my school, my school district and, uh, called Disability Rights Wisconsin and, and they referred us on to, uh, a mediator so that you're not having to go to due process. And it was a wonderful experience. And 
So if you could just explain what mediation is, that'd be great, Byron. I guess I'd start, Betsy, by picking up uh, from the earlier conversation. Since people don't generally talk straight to each other in this process, particularly where there are differing opinions, uh, what the, the first thing the mediator does is one make sure that the parties understand that he or she is not their advocate uh, and is really a helper in the in the facility, in the communication process and in the decision making process to make sure that both parents and school district personnel as well as, as medical and other personnel who are maybe essentially providing services to children uh, are all stakeholders and meaning have meaningful input into decisions. So the first thing that happens is that uh, what the mediator does is try to find out why the process is broken down and therefore sits down with each with the parties together and has a conversation with each party and elicits in that conversation all of the information he or she can get that it has not been shared between the parties uh, because of the breakdown in the communication process. So rather than ask for a regurgitation of what has, what the parties have done and what the parties have said to each other and, and right. what they've not done. What you ask is, what do you need? What does your child need? Uh, what is the child not getting? What What are you asking the other other side to do? And let's begin to focus on the future needs of the of the child as well as and and open up the conversation so that. When we discuss needs and, and ways to address those needs, they aren't a position but just one of many options that are available to both sets of parties. So we try to common, establish a common agenda, needs as, and then options that are available to meet those needs, and then you begin to talk to each of the parties as to why those options are acceptable or non-acceptable. So... You've obviously sat through hundreds of these, and what, boy, I bet you've heard some real doozies too, but can you, is there, do you, do you, do you see a lot, uh, kind of, like, do you see a transition throughout the process where, you know, it's both, both on different sizes, sides, and then do you see the, this communication, you're feeling good results with, with getting them to communicate and just, really saying what the problem is because I remember that about my mediation in general, in general was how good you were about I don't want to rehash old stuff. Let's go forward. Let's go forward. And that is such an important message for any type of uh, problem solving. general. Right. Um, I would say uh, in the vast majority of my cases that that the parties experience and learn uh, to understand their dispute because of the mediation process. I would further say that that's a, that's an essential first step to change the quality of a relationship. Sometimes, and you know me well enough, Betsy, from working with me for several hours, I can sort of be um, a tough mediator and get people to do things they don't want to do, but 
That and and some people would consider that to be successful mediation if you can get parties to agree to essentially sign a document that says, well, the, the district will do this and the, the parent will essentially uh, give them an opportunity and and sort of um, they, they they reach specific agreements and and everyone walks out of the room not terribly happy, but essentially they've gotten over the hump and they've gotten over the problem. More importantly, and it happens perhaps maybe only 50% of the time as opposed to 80% of the time, is if you can get people to accept the legitimacy of, the, of divergent views uh, and understand why mom and dad see the, the problems as being based on one set of factors or considerations and the district has another set of factors and considerations and they legitimize those differences and try to respond to each other's needs. And that's really the most important one because mediation and special education is not terribly like mediation and family disputes. People are going to have to live sure. together and it's not just getting over who gets the, the, uh, who gets to make decisions about money, but it's a question of how do you learn to live together? And the same thing is true in school districts who not just about who, how many people or how many students or, or adults are going to be in a, a child's classroom, but the question is how are we going to make decisions in the future about the child and his, his or her needs uh, over time, and how are we going to change the quality of our t team decision-making about this child, and, that, and that's, it, it takes a longer time. If it, mediation is not efficient in, in terms of being something that you can, get through a problem in an hour or two. Mediation requires hard work to listen to other, get parties to listen to each other and to, and to legitimize those differing views. And, and I become the voice which essentially the family, I try to provide district priorities and needs in a way that the family can digest them even if they find them uncomfortable and vice versa. Do you find yourself, because you are an attorney, so do you find yourself having to quote anything lawful-wise? I mean, do people say, well, what is the law on this, and you have to work that into it? I can't. Uh, I can't and, and not become an advocate for one side or the other. So that sure. if there is a legal issue, I make sure that the parties understand there's a legal issue, and if one side says to the other, I can't because of of the law or you must because of the law, then if they cannot work out an issue, a resolution that's not based upon what people must do or cannot do, uh, then I say that you need legal advice because I may have an opinion, but I, that I'm not the person to give you that. Sure. Advice. Sure. Well, that, that would make sense. Um, can, now, if, if parents are, are, are feeling at this point um, like they're not getting very far with their IEP process or with the school district, um, certainly they can request mediation. And mediation is undoubtedly the next step before going to due process, I would assume that you would say. Uh, yes, although in Wisconsin where I work, uh, there is a, a service in which there may be a facilitator brought into the IEP process, which is not which is not the same service as mediation, but it's one it's one in which everyone's views will 
is designed to assure that everyone's views will be incorporated into the IEP, even though, the, for example, the parents' views may be rejected by the district, but at least there's a record of that. So that may precede going to a uh, due process. If the school system or the parents don't want to do mediation, I'm, I'm assuming that neither side can require the other one to go to mediation? It's either voluntary or we don't provide it. Okay. Now, one of the things that shocked me the most about mediation was the fact I didn't have to pay for it. Can you explain why I didn't have to pay for it? Because I really still don't understand why. Yeah, you, you, are, you are worth a lot to me. <laughs> um, in Wisconsin, several of us who believe in the process and, and have an interest in the needs of special ed ch children uh, about 12, 14 years ago, went after some fun funding with the hope that we could introduce the process into this, uh, the due process as well as uh, the IEP process so that parties would have an opportunity to essentially experience mediation having uh, well-intentioned uh, neutral parties assist in that process. We were successful. We anticipated the funding would be gone by now. It's it's diminishing, but we indeed still provide mediation services in Wisconsin, as do a number of other states, not all states. And but uh, unlike states, unlike Wisconsin, many states provide mediation. Uh, by individuals who work for the Department of Education, the State Board of Education, or other government uh, individuals in Wisconsin, we offer mediation by independent mediators who essentially have been trained to provide such services by a grant-funded organization. Uh, and I was... I've sort of been there from from the ground up. Wow! So if and we only have a, a few seconds before we take a break, but if someone is not in a city that offers um, a free mediation or a state that offers free mediation, is it less expensive than an attorney? It's it's uh, generally a free service, but you're often getting a mediator that is uh, part of a government agency, and the services may be much more restricted than they are in. In Wisconsin, and and where, well, where would they go? Where, well, where do they find out? Who, I mean, Probably about, again the internet, uh, state right. board of education, state department of education is probably the best source of it. Okay, great. We are going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with Byron Yaffe and talking more about mediation. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. 
Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten-Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virostop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Hello, everyone. It's Betsy Hicks filling in for Terry Aranga today, and we're talking about mediation. I have the wonderful Byron Yaffe, who has been giving us some, such great, under wonderful insight about the process. And my my next question to you, Byron, is. Um, I'll tell you when when I first started to become aware of some like what my rights were and what I kind of the route I wanted my son to take, um, and I I really was as nice and listening as I possibly could be to the school district and tried to look for as many different ways to make you know what I was requesting work, and I was very open and I was very kind. And with each IEP, I got a little tougher and a little angrier. <laughs> And and I got to the point where I was not getting anywhere, and I was feeling just really emotions that I did. I wish I hadn't been feeling. I didn't want to be angry, and um, I I think that if I had known more at the very beginning, I could have prepared everything a little bit better. But yet I didn't. So tell me how. Let's start with the the parents, and 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 I really want to touch both sides here. What are what are good ways to prepare for IEPs and for mediation and even potentially due process? Uh, Betsy, most families, by the time they are in a dispute, are upset, distressful, and angry. And if not at the school district, at their spouses. <laughs> <laughs> Or ex-spouses. Or ex-spouses. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes back to my theory, my belief, that there are very few clear right answers uh, regarding how to respond to 
children's special needs. So in preparing to talk to anyone about a child, and this goes for both sides, it's important that you essentially detach sufficiently so that you can acknowledge the legitimacy of disagreements. Yes. And that you can, instead of saying, right, I'm right and you're wrong, or I'm motivate, motivated by the right considerations and you're motivated by the, the wrong considerations or illegitimate considerations or considerations that are, don't, won't meet my children's needs, my child's needs, what you really need to start thinking about is, okay, let's make, let's make sure that you fully understand where I'm coming from, why I believe what I believe, what has worked for me with my child, what are my frustrations in terms of what needs or what behaviors are not being addressed, and start essentially the process of explaining rather than demanding what it is that's causing you this uh, discomfort. If you can't figure out how your child is behaving academically, you need a baseline. Yes. And it, it's, it, rather than to accuse the district, which you may be having difficulty getting that baseline because of communication issues, because of behavior issues, because the testing is that is uh, utilized by the district is not uh, appropriate for for a particular child. You talk about the frustration of not having that baseline. Uh, you don't tell them what it is they need to do, but you begin to inquire. We've heard about this this method. We we are aware of these particular models that are in. Why are they? Why are they unsu inappropriate for my child in this school? So you need to have that honest hurt hurtful sometimes, sharing sometimes emotional, painful conversation about what has brought you to the table and what your kid is missing and why you believe that a better job can be done for that child. And the same thing is true in for the district. They need to begin to explain to families why it's been so difficult for them to get that baseline. And it my hunch is that in most cases it is a frustrating experience, but they rather they think that the parent, instead of being cognizant of and, and being respectful of and understanding that, is just demanding and unreasonable. And no one has the conversation about the complexity of getting the baseline. So that in, indeed what needs to be what needs to occur is that there needs to be a sharing of the frustration and the, and the difficulties that both sides have. And, and then once there is sort of those frustrations are understood and legitimized, then there needs to be, well, even though we may not be able to get, to get a perfect baseline, what's the best we can do? What are the techniques that are available uh, and how can we indeed help each other in implementing those techniques? And, and that's, I mean, I've given you a single issue, 
that I think you have some understanding of, but yeah. uh, but the fact is that it's the whole spectrum of issues is is can be treated in the, in the, in exactly the same way. This is wonderful advice, and that whole baseline data piece is um, I've learned through this whole process is one of the most essential things that you can start with. And it's very hard to move in any direction without any baseline data. And some many schools are simply not collecting data. Um, they are on time crunches or staff crunches and... Um, they don't even know how... They don't, don't even, even know how to get reliable data. So, I mean, part of the, part of the learning process may be, may be one in which school and family say... How can we acquire the skill set and or the tools to acquire data if indeed it's frustrating to both of us because we don't know how to do it? What extent of baseline data do you feel is necessary to really be able to clearly understand where the child is? Do you feel that it's just some teacher's assessment or do you feel that it really needs to be doing trials collecting data over a like, six-month, three-month period of time, something such as that? Well, that, the, the latter is, is the measurement of, measure of progress. The former is essentially what is the technique that are the techniques or the tools, the Woodcock-Johnson, can it be administered? Does, there, does the child need assistance in communicating answers? And very often... The problems are related to communication or lack thereof, and and all the guesswork that's involved in that. So there are two sets of problems on an accumulation of baseline data and measuring progress. One is how do you get a moderately accurate read for, from a child that doesn't communicate, and secondly, is are there techniques out there uh, that can be uh, utilized that may not be readily available within the school district to to uh, help the district and the family acquire that information, and then how over time does that same do those same measures reflect on the child's learning? And that's a complicated, lengthy process that requires continual monitoring and continual collaboration because you may be getting some information in the home that the district is not getting, and then the question is, is it reliable information, and how, how can, what, what benchmarks can be used to, to address the, the lack of reliability of tra information tr transmitted in that fashion? It's a terribly complex set of issues, and no one set of parties, including families, really have the exclusive uh, answer to how to get that information and then regularly measure it to determine progress. Can parents achieve and obtain this, a lot of baseline data on their own, or do they have to have the school's cooperation through it? it they, they, they certainly need this, the school to essentially understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and have some input about whether they'll accept the reliability of that information sure. or whether or not it's it's not information that they can, uh, as professional educators, utilize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't go out. I'm there are so many, particularly with the autistic children, uh, 
so many programs and strategies that have do, do not meet testing credibility measurements, but that our parents swear to, and you need to essentially begin to introduce and to share information about and have conversations about and bring in people to talk about uh, the techniques that best enable children to communicate what they have learned, what skills they have, and what, they, what they're unable to, to master. Most definitely. I, um, I, I think when it comes to so much of this, you, you really hit it at the very beginning when, when you talked about people coming into this because they're having their own bad relationships and their own angers and their own frustrations and certainly having to do work with autism every day is challenging. But um, and, and, and the schools, too, I mean, goodness knows these teachers have tremendous frustrations. But, but would you say of most of the disabilities that you work with, would you say that autism is one of the more challenging ones? I think so because, indeed, it manifests itself in so many ways and there is so little consensus about how to respond to it and there are so many alternatives out there that are being tried and that we there is no consensus about their viability and effectiveness. Right. I would say right. that it's... One, one of the reasons I believe that the mediation process is really uh, are something akin to that is, is very, very important because it's understandable why the, why the parties are all over the map. I mean, husbands and wives, moms and dads are all over the map. Exactly. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll finish up with Byron Yaffe. Stay tuned. more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just 
I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. And it is Betsy Hicks filling in for Terry Aranga today. I am here with mediation specialist and attorney Byron Yaffe, and we are talking about the mediation process and just IEPs in general of how to make everybody get along and develop these relationships. One of the things we were talking about before break I'd like to go back to because I think this is a very important point, and that is autism in general because of the fact that it is such a general term for such a unique situation in everybody's lives and to be able to say, well, we do this for all of our children with autism or this worked for my friend's son with autism, so you need to do this for my son. And it, it, it's, there's just so, general, so much generalization going on when it, it's so, so unique. And then because there are so many different modalities of, of working with autism, uh, there are little studies done on anything in particular, meaning that it's very hard to um, advocate for something that you really want when there's not a lot of proof showing that it was something that could benefit your child. Is that correct, Byron? Correct. And what you really need to um, concentrate on is the experience one has had and to be open to, to the questioning that's going likely to occur on communication. Uh, so many parents have developed means of communication either with the assistance of programs or strategies or uh, therapists that they so strongly believe in because it's the, the closest thing to effective communication in their home and they li- uh, the, the dispute is why can't the, if it's being used in the home why won't the district use it and the district has multiple co- children with multiple kinds of communication needs and strategies and techniques and it's an individual process uh, and the last thing the district should be saying is, well, we treat all children this way, but at the same time, the last thing you can reasonably expect of a district is that they're going to utilize every strategy that's being utilized in every home to communicate uh, with autistic children. So the, the sharing of information, but essentially the recognition that there is no single answer that the school district can use and the, and because of the resources as well as the time that it takes it's just impossible for for them to replicate what's going on in the home and that's a terribly difficult challenge for the family but it's a real it's a very real issue in the school setting and and the same thing would be true of of toileting the same thing would be true of transitioning between different environments, the same thing is true with respect to 
eating programs and sensory programs, it is, it is a, a horrendously difficult challenge, and one needs to sort of give legitimacy to, that, to, to the significance of that challenge. It's interesting, Byron, because, and I know you don't know a tremendous about uh, what I do, but I, my husband and I run a, a medical clinic and work with a tremendous amount of autism. And it's funny because as you're talking, I'm realizing this is exactly what we we are dealing with every day because there's so many different um, options and different medical ways of approaching autism that, I mean, we, we daily get somebody sending us something saying, you know, can we try this, can we try that? And you know, the Internet has been a wonderful resource for education, but it also has been a horrible detriment in um, taking advantage marketing-wise of, of, of and, and kind of like selling things that um, – May, may not be of, of benefit to, to their particular cases. So when parents are doing research on the Internet, you really have to be open and understanding that where's the message coming from? If it's coming from somebody who's trying to sell you something, well, then there's one thing, of course, you have to look at it that way. If you're getting the message from a parent who's had a really good experience, that's good. However, let me say, at least, especially on the medical end of things, Many parents will have good experiences with something, and they'll po- they'll get on the internet and they'll post about this great experience they had. But then six months go by, and the child is not doing so well, and you don't they don't repost. They don't repost and say, "Oh, I made a mistake endorsing that product because now it's not so good." And the same is true with the education. I've had parents that have done some really different and unique education plans and have seen great progress at the beginning, but um, have seen turn down the road. So I can respect the district's view in we need to, to implement something that has some test and true method to it. And to not uh, essentially disregard anything, but essentially put it in, in the portfolio of options to be considered and then determine its applicability as well as its viability. I remember when Joey was very young and autism was not, it was just not quite an epidemic yet. It was slowly becoming it because Joey's 16 and, well, will be next month. And um, I don't know. Do you know Johanna White? She's no, uh, over at Summit School in Elgin um, or Dundee or something. She's a, she, she was the special ed director for um, my school district at the time. And um, I, I remember my first IEP with her, and I went in there so angry because she was brand new, and I was just going to show her that, you know, I knew what I was doing and that type of thing. And, and I had my attorney with me, and I was ready to, to go, and um, and I wanted floor time to be offered to my son because he, he responded so much more to floor time than he did to any kind of a desk-sitting program. And I very rudely said to her, do you even know what floor time is? And she said, no, but I'm going to find out. And she, boy, did she ever. She researched it. She found out about it. And within by the next year, um, she had it offered for many children in the school district. So sometimes we have to put the things down a little bit because they do need to research and understand. Um, give them an opportunity to do the research. Right, right. And, ed- and educate each other. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
I, I just I, I want to give parents more resources now because we're down to our last couple minutes, and I feel that I, I don't want to just send them off and say just do some searches on the on the internet. I'd like to give them a few more, but but I guess doing some googles on um, I, I I know that. Is there any book in particular that you recommend that's out there that, that you're a fan of? I know there's so many different ones that are out. I have a really good one written by an attorney, but um, if there's anything in particular, I, this would be a good time to resource it. I wish I did. Uh, the, there are good texts on mediation, but frankly, that's not what what is what what is needed. And 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 I guess the organizations that strike me as being most relevant are the Parent family advocacy groups that essentially work with fam- families of autistic children, and, and I know Illinois has them. I know Wisconsin has them, and I know, know most states uh, that uh, um, have any advanced programs. My, my first turn would be to organizations like Disability Rights in in Wisconsin, like Facets in Wisconsin. Uh, I believe you even brought some advocates from from Illinois, yes. From Illinois, At the Autism Society advocates, yes. And are. those are the people probably that I would turn to first for uh, conversation as well as materials that will help parents learn to be good, effective advocates that the districts are willing to listen to. And that's really the critical question: How do I learn to be an advocate that? That for my child that the district will listen to. And, and that's a skill set that you can't write too much about. I couldn't have said that better. You, that is fabulous. And you have been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for all of your help in assisting us today and understanding this very um, important subject. And we hope that all of you listening out there will consider mediation um, if you're having some difficulties with communication, but go into these not looking at the fight. Look at, look at it as you're just working to educate the district, and that's a much more positive way to look at it than as if you were trying to fight it. And let them educate and be willing to be open to letting them educate you. I completely agree. Thank you so much, Byron. Thank you for everybody for listening today. Bye. Bye-bye. America would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Oranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.